0: Welcome to another episode of Bytes and Bandwidth. I'm Lynn Follinsby, Vice President of Strategic Initiatives and Partnerships at U.S. Telecom. Today, I am glad to welcome Vanith Iyengar, Executive Director of Louisiana's Broadband Efforts, also known as Connect LA. Vanith, welcome and congratulations on being the first state to have NTIA approve your bid proposal. Tell us what this achievement means for Louisiana and its residents.
1: Look, I appreciate Lynn the the relationship that we've had with you and Jonathan and the team at US Telecom over the last couple of years. And so you guys have been thought leaders in the space and helped states like us really understand what what good policy means. And happy holidays to your listeners. We're thrilled to have volume 1 and volume 2 of our proposal to be approved and to be approved first. I think Being first is always a good thing. Coming from Louisiana, sometimes unfortunately we're the first of many negative lists, but in this respect and with respect to broadband policy, we're thrilled to be where we are. I think what's really important and what's always historically has driven us as an office has always been this sense of urgency in ensuring that people in Louisiana get what they need. And what they need is really access to high-speed, affordable, reliable internet. And so the sooner we can get a lot of the administrative policy and, and uh, some of the procedural things out the way, the more we can start to partner with the ISPs to, to have them do what they do best, which is to provide access to internet to folks throughout Louisiana.
0: Yeah, we've appreciated mm-hmm. working with you, Beneath, and we're looking forward to implementation of this program. What would you say are some of the key factors that contributed to Louisiana's success in securing that bid proposal approval?
1: Yeah. So it's a couple of things. We've always had constant engagement with NTI. And I think it's been a good iterative conversation, very process-oriented conversation. So that's one thing. The second is we've had the fortunate ability to spend a significant amount of time on the road in meeting with as many different people as stakeholders in Louisiana. We've visited over a hundred cities, towns, and villages. We've met people that represent different sectors that create the ecosystem, the economic social ecosystem of Louisiana. And everyone, Lynn, has a broadband story. Everyone has a very unique use case and how broadband is applied to them. And so, the distillation of comments and feedbacks from stakeholders and the end recipients to stakeholders that build these networks, like your membership, and to folks that represent those that will be employed, gainfully employed by those in the telecom sector, in addition to other stakeholders throughout the country allowed us to really understand very critically how we can balance really good policy and how we could really take elements of what everyone's interests are into policies that we can synthesize for the betterment of all Louisianians. And so as part of that, we've always been noodling. And really, when I was looking back at my notes, Lynn, we actually started working on our five-year plan, volume one, volume two, actually two years ago. And and looking at my notes, my colleagues, Thomas, uh, Tyler Jr., and then now Glenn Howie, who now runs a broadband office in, in Arkansas, we worked on a, actually a five year schema on how we would spend some of this money. And fortunately we've been building and thinking through some of those issues. And we got to a point where because of muscle memory, because of stakeholder engagement, because of these iterative conversations within TIA that working on this wasn't as onerous as some people may make it out to seem and we were thrilled to be first.
0: No doubt in all that work, there must have been some aspects of the plan that were the most I'm challenging sure. to figure out. And I'm just
1: wondering yeah. what those were. I think the challenge has to do with the complexities of making sure that we had to adequately answer the 19 discrete items that was requested in both volume was in volume two the proposal, right? Because these are extremely precious dollars, the last thing we wanted to do was to get into a situation where these dollars are frankly wasted or it competes against current investments that are being made by private ISPs and those ISPs that are spending their hard-earned dollars in building these networks concurrently. And so we had to be deliberate and we had to have numerous and dozens of conversations with folks, both not only at the FCC, a treasury and all stakeholders around Louisiana to ensure that we were very cautious and, and cognizant of the fact that we need to make sure these dollars go to where it needs to go. Because again, the first thing, second thing, and the third thing that we want is sort of the challenge of building these networks in areas and funding these networks in areas that, again, already have private investment. So we had to balance those needs, and that's first and foremost. We also had to ensure especially in Louisiana where we've had nearly a dozen named storms over the last several years where there's been an unusual destruction of of telecommunications infrastructure, especially given that these hurricanes are getting stronger and I, I know a number of your members and others and that represent the sort of the, the wireless carriers are again spending a ton of their own resources and money to ensure that we can double down on resilient infrastructure but that was important to us that was important to the the governor that's important to the people and that's what we heard often so what you know our plan is this really interesting balance that incorporates some modicum of mobility in designated critical resilience net, zones that's designated throughout louisiana we are tech neutral and that's critically important because there's probably going to be certain locations in louisiana where the cost of building fiber may be too prohibitive and so i think it, it required a really good balance of interests and thoughts
0: Yeah, I know working with a lot of the states on their initial proposals, one of the key elements that seemed to be maybe the most difficult that states were struggling with was how to meet that low income option requirement. How did you find balance to make that workable for Louisiana?
1: Yeah. So look, at the end of the day, we had to balance really two things. If you look at us functionally through data, we're functionally a, a poor state. If you just look at basically on the metrics itself. And we've had the highest adoption in the country in terms of the ACP and close to 541,000 households have benefited from the ACP program out of a a total of 94,000 households that are eligible for the program. So our adoption rates are nearly 60%. And so we had to balance really three things. The functional fact that affordability still presents a huge problem just by virtue of the large ACP adoption in Louisiana. Second, if you start to overlap the ACP adoption based on the US congressional district, what you begin to start to see is that some of the poorer areas along Northeast Louisiana, around the Florida parishes, which is Southeast Louisiana, certain sections in in the Western part of the state have high adoption rates and the medium household incomes are low. So with that, we had to really balance to ensure that people that may live on fixed incomes that might be former veterans or people that historically would not have enough money through disposable income to pay for internet services, yet an ability to be able to afford internet services in a way that fits within their budget. However, this is really important. As we looked at the comments, and as we looked at from a policymaking perspective, it is critically important that we also balance the affordability needs to ensuring that the companies that are building in these areas where folks may not be able to afford for the full freight, can develop a viable business model and a viable economic model that creates not just one-off networks, but sustainable networks that we could all be proud of. And so what in our long term in our low cost plan is effectively a range, right? It's anywhere between 30 and 65 bucks. There was 30 to 65 bucks, not to exceed 65 a minute before it was approved, but now that the plan is approved, it's now subject to CPI increases every year by three percent. It's really important, Lynn, and I think it's really important to your to your constituency that, look, these companies also have to create a, a, a thrivable business model, right? And a sustainable business model. And that also in the, it takes into account what we think is the necessary ARPU that's required that we think is going to be critical to maintain those networks. And so really the balance reflects the need to address the deep affordability needs that a lot of Louisianians have but also at the same time, for the needs for these companies to develop sustainable and long-term business models. And that's why we it is effectively arranged between 30 and $65. CPI capped at 3% on an annual basis.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We appreciate that. It is, it is. I think, our member companies are interested in not just going in and building a network and leaving, right? Everybody should yep, be going right. and building a network and staying. And it's all these numbers have to work to make to right. keep that balance. Absolutely. So- now that you've gotten yourself approved do you have an anticipated timeline for when you guys will ever actually be able to actually get shovels in the ground for these projects
1: so the sequence now is that the moment that you get approved the shot clock begins and we have 12 months to obligate the funds submit our final proposal what we're anticipating is that in a few months time and it's within the next eight to nine months we would have obligated all 1.355 billion dollars and submitted the necessary information and tia will hopefully quickly turn it around and then those obligated awards become contractual grant agreements. And so our thinking is, if we're really lucky and we push pretty aggressively, that in, in late Q3, early part of Q4 is when we hope that uh, companies can start to build the networks that all Louisianians can be proud of in partnership with all the ISPs and your members throughout the state.
0: Sounds good are there some challenges though you're anticipating in this implementation phase yeah. what strategies are you thinking you'll utilize at that point
1: yeah you're, you're going to start to see a hockey stick worth of construction occurring between now and the next five years you're going to start to see a lot of the cpf work start to really kick off in earnest from a construction perspective between now and the next couple of years and then of course being between now and the next four or so years and so workforce development's a big deal and so the for, out of the 55 five billion the first 30 million is going to be committed to building up a workforce pipeline for Louisiana. It's not something we could build from day one, but it can be over time. The way that will work is that the money will be committed to the Louisiana Community College technical system, and then they will use that money to ensure that every community college offers the kind of certified training and and courses that, again, people can avail and build careers. When we had our announcement last Friday, we actually had an individual named Robert Davis who didn't have a lot of broadband expertise and background was able to go to one of these community colleges, South Louisiana Community College in Crowley, Louisiana, which is about an hour and a half west of Baton Rouge, and completed a dozen or so certifications, including the ATT Corning Certification, the Fiber Optic Association, the certification, a number of different certifications. And now works for a, a large ISP building out their networks and was able to complete those certifications in five months' time. So The idea is to replicate Robert Davis and to do that minus 5,000, but it's not going to happen overnight. It's going to happen over a multi-year period. In addition, we're going to start to really pay attention as the execution risk moves from our office to the ISPs. We want to really start to pay attention to the challenges around permitting and really understanding from the utility providers as they start to receive hundreds of permit applications, what we can do to help sort of de-risk the potential bottlenecks that occur within some of those uh, utility providers that were probably pretty efficient in turning around permits maybe before, but now we'll start to get hundreds and hundreds of, at the same time. And so it, it we'll start to really focus on the execution risk of the ISPs and how we can work to de-lever and de-risk some of those as we move forward.
0: Yeah, much appreciated. We all know in the industry that permitting hurdle is always yeah. one of the biggest ones to actually get projects going. So I know that since you submitted the draft proposal to NTIA, there was a lot of work between the scenes between then and now. And what would you say that you learned in that approval process with NTIA that would benefit other states or other regions?
1: Well, look, we're fortunate to have an NTIPO federal program officer that was based in, in New Orleans that was covering both Louisiana and Georgia. We had every other day, we were having conversations with them about seeking either clarifications about certain things or seeking approval or just trying to understand the intent of the notice of funding opportunities. I think every state broadband director, and we we had a convening a couple of weeks ago in New Orleans, there were about two dozen of us. I think they're all doing a great job given the fluidity of the office and the fact that some of these offices aren't very big and you have to balance both stakeholder engagement at the grassroots level with other groups that you have to balance with NTI guidance. And I think they're heavily leaning on the FPOs and other colleagues to be able to do that. I think by far, the more iterative the conversations they have with their federal program officer, the better. The reason we also wanted to move so quickly, also in Louisiana, Lynn, frankly, is that by being first, it allows the companies, it allows, for instance, your membership to start to identify supplies start to, to identify the kinds of needed inputs from workforce and supplies perspective to lock those things in advance in preparation for our awards. And so I think other states are trying to do the same thing, but I think the big challenge is going to be if suddenly entire approves a bunch of these plans in Q2, Q1, Q2 of next year, then suddenly you're, you're going to just going to have a surge of activity, which is going to create pressure on pricing and, and whatnot.
0: Yeah. Agreed. That's something yeah. we're waiting to see how that turns out. But were there any specific best practices or insights you'd want to share with your colleagues and the other broadband offices on this? I, I
1: think we have regular conversations. Every plan is going to be functionally different. And I think that's important. It's going to be unique to their states and to their locations, demographics. What I tell states and what we try to do is, look, don't wait till the last minute, to be honest, because we made that mistake Two two years ago, when we launched our first grant round for using our dollars, Gumbo 1.0, we made the application deadline December 31st, and that was a big no. And so now, as we move into the holiday season, we can relax a little bit. And from a best practice, what I would try to do as much as what we do anyway is we've posted our volume two that was approved on our website. And so it's an opportunity if you go to connect.la.gov, if you go to the resources tab, volume two, and you'll see the approved plan. And we share that with the other state broadband leaders. And I'm sure they're taking a look at certain aspects of it to see which ones make sense. Because if there is something that makes sense that's specific to their state that fits the constituencies of those states, then why not repeat that model as opposed to doing something different?
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And as you said, Congress gave, obviously, these programs to the states to determine because yeah. they thought that the states knew best what was needed in their communities and in their state. And I guess that leads to uh, my question of how do you think your program that you've designed is going to positively impact the communities and residents in Louisiana?
1: I think given the outsized size of our allocation, we feel really confident with the allocation of our dollars, the $1.355 billion The number of bead eligible locations, which are going to be roughly 200,000 locations that will have more than enough money to solve the problem. If you start to look at the NPV in the business case perspective of how the locations are distributed around the state and how we will create these sub project areas, I think it's going to present really good business opportunities for your current members and the ones that have made investments already in Louisiana, Lynn, to continue to make those investments in, in, in strong ways. Look, at the end of the day, we feel good with the allocation, not only that we're going to receive, that we will receive, but also in terms of execution to solve the functional needs to getting everyone access to high-speed, affordable, reliable internet. And then what we'll see is based on the dollars that we've invested on the infrastructure side, see what's left, and then start to use some of those dollars potentially to start to crosswalk broadband and economic development. How can we use broadband to improve operating expenses for farmers? How can we use broadband to help improve healthcare outcomes in areas that lack primary care access? We'll start to make that shift sometime in the summer in understanding, once we have a somewhat of a modicum of understanding of what remaining dollars that we might have, to use those to really impact Louisiana's economy for generations to come.
0: Yeah, I think you you touched on where I was headed and addressed it a little bit, but are there other specific areas or demographics you think that are going to benefit from these projects given Louisiana's population?
1: Yeah, I think from a sectoral perspective, healthcare is going to definitely benefit. I think we have an acute teaching shortage. I think think that's everywhere, but especially in Louisiana, we have an acute certified teaching shortage. And so I think the ability to start to introduce different modalities of classroom instruction now that you have access to high-speed internet. That it's going to be pretty instrumental for folks that, especially in areas in North Louisiana and Northeast Louisiana where it's a challenge. The other thing that gets us really excited is the impact within the next three to five years in terms of how much more revenue small businesses are going to generate in Louisiana as you start to increase their ability to leverage digital infrastructure to help improve growth. And the US Chamber and Amazon did some analysis a couple of years ago that said in Louisiana, for instance, that increasing digital access significantly over 50% will increase sales among small businesses by a billion and a half dollars and add another 5,000 or so jobs. So the benefits of your members and what they're going to do, Lynn, is going to create sort of generational impacts. And that's where we get really excited between now and the next five to 10 years.
0: Yeah, that is all really exciting. And I know we're all really looking forward to this. We've always said this is a once in a generation opportunity yet. Right. And it is truly very exciting to see how this can impact individuals and businesses alike. So I just want to say congratulations on this important milestone for Louisiana. It's really fantastic that we're seeing all of this come to fruition for you and in the rest of the states eventually over the next few months. And thank you, Vinnie, for this awesome conversation. And I really look forward to continuing our partnership.
1: Absolutely. Thanks, Lynn. Take care.
0: Thanks to everyone for listening to this episode of Bites and Bandwidth. Join us each month as we continue our conversation with key voices in the U.S. broadband industry. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. For more information on U.S. Telecom, visit us online at ustelecom.org. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.